0: Welcome to the latest edition of the Leaders Performance Podcast. My name is John Porch and I'm the editor at the Leaders Performance Institute. Today's episode is part of the Kaiser Athlete Optimization Series, a 10-week collaboration with our main partners, Kaiser, where we have taken a deep dive with our partners into human performance to uncover the insights you need to optimise the performance of your athletes. Our members have engaged with topics ranging from performance environments to performance nutrition. And if you think Leaders Performance Institute membership is for you and your team, Check out leadersinsport.com forward slash performance for more information. As I was saying, in recent weeks we've heard from performance practitioners across elite sports and today we will hear from an athlete. The star of today's show is British sprinter Asha Phillip. Asha was recently part of the Great Britain 4x100m women's relay team that won a bronze medal at the Tokyo Olympics. She previously won a bronze in the relay at the 2016 Games in Rio and is one of Britain's most decorated athletes. Her resume includes two silver medals at the World Championships, two gold medals and a further silver at the European Championships, a gold and a bronze at the European Indoor Championships, and a further gold and bronze at the Commonwealth Games representing England. There's plenty of chat about Tokyo coming up and winning that second Olympic bronze, but Asher is already preparing for a jam-packed 2022. There's the World Indoor Championships in Belgrade in March. And then from July through August, there's the World Championships in Oregon, the Commonwealth Games in Birmingham in England, and the European Championships in Munich. I began by asking Asher about her reflections on a pandemic-era Olympic Games. What felt familiar, and what felt different, and what felt downright weird?
1: Well, the weirdest thing was it felt like jail. I've never been to jail, but... <laughs> If people describe it, if it, I'm I'm sure it was something similar, mainly because we were only allowed to go to our training venue and the hotel at a time where they never really crossed over with other sports, which that was actually quite timed. You know how well, the Japanese are very on-time people, like 30 seconds late and everyone's kicking off. Not kicking off, but it's it's deemed to be bad. They were just really good with the timing and stuff, but it was... It was just different. We tried our best to make it what we could do of our Olympic experience. Obviously, some people was their first time and they just wasn't getting the whole free McDonald's experience or like just roaming the streets of the country. But, you know, we all entertained ourselves and we stayed COVID free and we just got to meet other athletes of different sports at another intimate level because now that there's no like flashing lights distracting us it was just genuine conversations and I brought out a few card games and we all just played it and just fell in love with just messing around
0: (laughs) fantastic so it sounds like you made the most of it and made it special in its own way
1: it was you make do with what you've got and uh we really did you know like say back in the day we played with like what kind of toys like kids have got electronics now but back then we had like Wooden toys. Let's just say. We had wood, we, were, we were brought back to basics with the wooden toys and we had to learn how to entertain ourselves that way. And we had a good time.
0: That's really great to hear. And a couple of months down the line now from Tokyo, how do you feel about winning another medal? Your goal, you told me at the tail end of 2020, was to make another Olympic Games. You achieved that, of course. Then your aim was to make another final. You also achieved that. And then you won a second Olympic bronze. How does that make you feel? Do
1: you know, it was weird. Every time you, like, it's, it's a weird experience because you you say it out loud, but for it to actually happen, it's like, wow, I've got two Olympic medals now. How did I manage that? Little old me from East London is now an Olympic medalist. It's, it's a surprise. It really is. I mean, you work hard for it and that is the goal, but for it, for it to actually happen is um, something else. And it's, it's a nice feeling because you're going to look back at that moment thinking, yeah, I actually did that. So my nieces and nephews will look up to me and feel like I am not only their favourite auntie, like, I am not their idol.
0: And rightly so. They should be so proud of you. <laughs>
1: yeah. I think they like me more than their parents now. I'm a cool one.
0: <laughs> and of course, you've had the experience of two Olympic Games now, Rio in 2016 and Tokyo this year. In what ways were the two experiences similar or different in terms of executing your plans, your preparations, working with teammates?
1: Um, I think it's, it's, it's but definitely similar. Um, well, my coach wasn't out there this time, unfortunately, because obviously they weren't allowed to bring out everyone. and they had to pick the coaches well the team members have to be selected with certain coaches that was different this time around but the goal is still the same so when you go to a championship you stay focused and you know what is the end goal fair enough actually not being able to go out among the streets is probably a better thing because I had no time but else just to focus whereas before I could like relax and go and have fun in the streets but and Tokyo is a wicked place to go to so maybe it was a good thing I was stuck inside
0: And on top of that, you were turning a challenge into an opportunity, right? Speaking of which, I want to ask you about the challenge of going from the individual 100 metres to the 4x100 metre relay. How does that change your mindset and preparation? And what does that look like from the inside?
1: Well, it's very different for athletics because it is an individual sport and you are only thinking about yourself. It may sound selfish, but it's not. It's just how our sport is. We have to put ourselves forward and it, it is a selfish sport, let's just say, but... At the end of the week, we know we're going to do relay and we have um, our relay sessions prior to the Games and while we're out there. So we have some sort of bond and relationship between each other. And you just know how to just switch it on and off, to be honest. like Because one minute we're competitors and the next we're, fight- well, we're fighting together as a team to try and win an Olympic medal. But we all have the same goal so and that is to make the podium and get the back well firstly get the baton round and then <laughs> get a medal so because we're all on the same page it makes it so, it's an easier experience and we're all we've all let's say all of us have been there before but we've been in situations where we have to think fast on our feet and we're able to do it so that's what makes a really great team so when you've got a great team to work with it makes it easier
0: that's brilliant and you talk about that teamwork and fighting for each other underneath all of that how important is that communication in relay racing, underpinning everything? How do you work to build those cues of your teammates? Of course, it takes time and practice.
1: I definitely feel like having some sort of common ground, a bond, like underlying like, type of love, even though that we compete against each other, because it's just that connection. No matter what it is, there's always a connection. Making make sure you get that batman because you can have all the flat speed in the world, but because you haven't got that connection, the changing of the patterns of trusting the person coming into you or running away from you make a massive difference. So having that bond will forever make the situation easy and just give us that connection that is needed because you know it's a relay like it's very much of individual sport but you have to work with each other to get the bat round and training does help and having our little team bonding sessions I know certain countries don't do that but that's how Britain work and it has worked for us in the past so I feel like it's just you know fine combing it and making sure we excel within the situation And since we've been doing that, it's been working really well. So we just continue to do it. We know it takes us out of our individual training to meet up. But again, we all have the same goal and want to get an Olympic medal.
0: And if you could walk me through the time frame, when do you start training for the relay event? Obviously, you're training away from your teammates for a lot of the year and competing separately at different meets around Europe and the world.
1: Mm, Well... Well, as a group, obviously you have to get into the training just to get the flat speed. But when it comes to relay, we usually meet up like, say, twice or three times a year. Usually there's one just to meet up to just talk for the year and debrief on the previous season. So that's one. And then we'll have one like an outdoor meet, probably a Diamond League somewhere. But usually the London Diamond League, we meet up there and have a session or two before then. And then when we go to championships in our holding camp, we'll also have some more training sessions. So it's not like we get to meet up quite often, but when you're fine-tuned and you kind of understand how to do it, it becomes easier. So you wouldn't have to do so much training, but it's more about having the confidence in each other to make sure the band gets round.
0: Absolutely. And I'm sure whenever you're off in different parts of the continent or the world, you're all staying in touch with each other once you've built those relationships anyway, right?
1: Well, definitely social media keeps us entertained with each other. We're always laughing at what each one of us is getting up to, so... Yeah, that is definitely what keeps us all together.
0: And more broadly, as you reflect back on the fact that the Olympic Games were postponed for a year because of the pandemic, what were some of the positives on one hand and some of the negatives on the other of having that extra 12 months to play around with?
1: Well, the benefit was I don't think I was ready last year, so (laughs) that was great for me. Just probably giving some time to spend... We've majority of athletes, well, ours is a summer sport, so we don't get to spend time with our families during the summer and enjoy being at home. So that was one benefit for me, I would say. But it's a shame we couldn't travel. Imagine you finally get to be home for the summer but can't go on holiday with your family. Because same... my family were teachers, so when they have their, like their holiday, I'm obviously competing, so that never works out well for me. So that was one good benefit. And the negative was to know that we had to go for a whole winter all over again. And that was the horrible training and stuff. And especially you've invested time and money into the sport. And it's not like it's gone to waste, it's just made it difficult because some athletes may have wanted to retire after Olympics and have to go on for another year or some people can't afford to go on for another year this was meant to be their year for them to to make it so I'm guessing those athletes had different reasons but mine was mainly just to go through another painful winter I just thought I just couldn't I just couldn't have I just didn't have the energy I couldn't do it again but obviously perseverance um, kept me going
0: and of course the rewards were there at the end of the road they were <laughs> I'd like to return to that theme of motivation a little bit later in the conversation, if I may. But before that, I wanted to touch upon your training and preparation. And a question that springs to mind for me as an outsider is beyond speed, what are the qualities needed by an elite sprinter? Speed is an obvious one, but there must be other technical qualities you can point to as well.
1: Definitely some strength and power. Sprinting is like a powerful, powerful sport. So you've got to have like some good, explosive muscles and stuff to kick you off and just it's more um, mental I would say sport is 80 percent mental and 20 percent physical because it is tough you're on a line with seven other women and it's it's a fight really luckily you have your own lane so it's not attacking each other but it is a fight to the end and you have to be mentally strong to do that. To go onto the line and compete against the fastest girls in the world, like you could be scared, you could be like so nervous. Like even though we do this all the time, we still, are, I still get my heart still races. But um, you have to learn how to control those nerves and fuel them into your run. So I feel like you have to be mentally strong to know that you have to firstly travel, leave your nest. Sometimes your coach might not be there. You're in a foreign country where they don't speak English sometimes. It's quite weird, our sport is, because you have to actually get into a (laughs) car. We fly to a country and they may not speak English or not, but you get into a car with a random person who drives you somewhere. Bear in mind, this is how we think this is safe. (laughs) But this is just how our sport is. They have a sign and they say, we're here for such and such meet. And we get into their car, they take us to a hotel. We may have to share a room with someone that doesn't speak English, go and compete. And then come back, do the same thing and go home. And it's really weird, but we have to be mentally strong to go through those moments of like being away and sleeping with someone that you may not know and don't obviously, you might not even trust them, but you have to learn how to close your eyes at night and rest and recover for your race. And sometimes you might get in late and have to creep into your room and like, hopefully, don't wake somebody up. So, all these things do put a count into the whole sprinting. I know it's just like, obviously you have to be fast and all that stuff, but you have to be mentally strong to handle all the battles to get there. It's
0: very interesting that you talk about being mentally strong in order to face those challenges. And I was keen to ask you about your gymnastics background as well. I mean, for listeners who don't know, you were also a junior world champion on the double mini trampoline. So were there any transferable skills from that discipline? You were competing in the trampoline from a very early age. And we often talk about the drawbacks of early specialization at leaders. But is there anything in your gymnastics background that's helped you when it comes to sprinting?
1: Uh, well, yeah, definitely. With trampolining trampoline, again, it was still, again, individual. It's still, I don't know, it feels more of a team, though, maybe because it's a small amount of us. It was still, again, individual, like, at the end of the... Well, on the trampoline or the double-mini trampoline, it was just me in the air and everyone, like... You could hear a pin drop, <laughs> like, just watching you perform. And I think that's worse, to be honest. At least you've got a crowd and there's seven other people there. This is you alone, so you had to look you had to learn to stand by yourself and take on whatever is going to be thrown at you so I think that's one thing trampoline did teach me was like yeah okay you can do this by yourself actually yes my coach is there and he's at the end but still to be in that environment by yourself is daunting because at the end of the day no you can do all this training but no one else can run for you you have to run and same with trampoline and you can do that your coach can or do all the bits and bobs but at the end of the day you are the one you are the athlete you're the one that has to go out there and perform and That is
0: quite scary. I'm sure it is. And you've spoken before as well about making notes in training. How do you make sure that even with your wealth of experience, you're still learning? I mean, you're describing the sprint game here as being very scary at times.
1: You're always trying to learn. Everything in life, you just want to um, excel and get better at it. It's not like, I just want to think, okay, that was fine. Let's just sit there. But it's like, you want to how much can you make it better? It's about taking notes. Learning from your coach, learning from different coaches, always picking the best advice from the right people. Because sometimes you can listen to advice and it might be wrong for you. So you've got to try and figure out what is good and what is bad. It's like, <laughs> who's your angel and who's your devil? Like, who's who's got the, the right words or saying the right things? And it's hard to... Sometimes not sink into the wrong direction, but you can. That's probably still a learning lesson. So it's not like I don't take any bad learning curve as anything so negative because you always learn i I always turn it to a positive. Like Asha, that didn't work for you. Let's try something different. So it is always about wanting to do better each time. Like you're running to get a faster time and perform. So you have to keep changing. And I always say you have to always stay uncomfortable. And I hate this actually because I always work well when I'm uncomfortable. Obviously, everyone wants to be comfortable and just enjoy life, but You have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And I think that's a thing I've always, um, that's always, that's one thing that's always stayed with me.
0: And I think that's a serious point. And as you go from event to event, season to season, when you've got that understanding of what it is that makes you tick, how do you decide what you need more of and what you need less of in training or preparation? You must develop an instinct and awareness of all that as well.
1: Yeah, well, now I'm older, I can see what works well and what doesn't. But again, I could always be wrong because like i said i could be comfortable and i feel like it's working but really and truly i could always probably do more or do something different so it's like always trying to be on the edge trying to find the next not say trying to find the next fast moving thing or object or technology it's just trying to stay with it and move at a decent pace and never always stay static because you obviously don't get anywhere if you're staying static so you even if it's you going left right or backwards you're still learning along the way and it's always just trying to find a way of pushing forward
0: and in light of that how important then is self-reflection whether that be after your training post-competition post-meet whenever that might be
1: sometimes i need at least 24 hours because i could throw all my toys at the pram (laughs) i'd be so upset with everything and everyone like when i'm ready i'll slowly pick my toys back up but self-reflection is always a good thing because you do need to see how did what went well first thing okay, what do you feel went wrong? And it's not like trying to keep the negative aside, but okay, what can we do to change it? Okay, this, okay, I didn't, my block start wasn't right. Okay, what can we do in training to fix that? How can we put um, put this into a race? How can we do this? It's always trying to, break it down and basically build it back up again. And it's always about trying to stay positive with it. Because if I hold on, oh, I'm really bad at this, I'm really bad at this, I'm going to keep telling myself that and I'm going to believe it. So it's like I can, it's all about the positive affirmations you have to keep telling yourself and going over and over again and reminding yourself that you can do it, you are strong enough, you, you are able to succeed. And just even in the session, like, it's always about being positive because if you honestly, if you feed that negativity, it will just win and you'll just yeah, you'll lose that battle.
0: I think that's a profound point. And I also wanted to ask you about training partners and how important they might be. You're bringing me inside now, someone who only sees the event at the Olympic Games themselves (laughs) and not what goes on behind the scenes. So how significant are training partners in sprinting? What role do they fulfil and why is it important to be part of a good group?
1: Um, Firstly, the vibes, really. I don't like being in an environment where I don't like someone or we don't get along, let's just say. I don't think that's healthy for either of us. Lucky for me, I've had such a lovely groups of diff- lovely different groups growing up and you just need to be pushed. Sometimes we shy away from what we're scared of. Like, so obviously I've, after racing with seven other girls, if I'm training with one, that makes it that 1% easier that you can understand, like, okay, I do this in training. So it's easy for me to. Well, it's not easy. It's I feel comfortable racing against another like you just need you have to always be tested and pushed like I said it's another thing where training partners will lift you when you've got the nice ones they'll support you throughout the whole way and they want you to do well and that's a nice environment to have because it is like a brutal sport you are competing against each other but you want to have that competitive edge you don't want to get too relaxed and then next thing you know you start oh i am really faster, and you're not getting any further so training partners they do play a good part in your career.
0: That's really fascinating to hear and how important as well are those warm weather training camps in track and field? How do they help you to fine tune your performance or consolidate your training goals? I mean, it must be great to be in the sun as well.
1: 100%. All I'm going to say is the sun and sprinting are a perfect match. When we're out here in the cold, in the rain, oh, I'm telling you, we have no track. My coach said to me, if it's less than three degrees, maybe we won't go outside. But if it's four, it's okay. I'm thinking, what? It is cold and we still have to go out there and train, like snow that anything, we're out there because there's not many, well, we don't have a indoor 400 meter flat it's obviously the 200 but i don't really like training most, So we have no choice but to go outside and honestly oh it's disgusting so we love getting away and getting into the sun we feel like it's like a mini holiday but obviously we're here for work so that comes first but honestly the sun makes a massive difference it's actually quite hard to train in the sun i'm not you think in the cold okay in the cold it's just how do i put it into words the cold is just you can warm up in the cold and that you can get yourself going But even like, obviously you can't go too fast because it's cold, your muscles won't like it. But if you go to the sun and do the exact same session you did in the cold, honestly, you'd pass out. It is so different. You have to learn to train yourself to warm up in the sun. Like I've done sessions before where I've just passed out. (laughs) And um, yeah, it's just, yeah, but it's all worth it because we love the sun.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. And I bet you can get more done when you're in a warm weather training camp environment, right?
1: One hundred percent honestly, the sprinting part works well because we can't do that in the cold in the UK, unfortunately. I mean much we can try it indoors, but like you just your muscles just they just love it. And you just don't get you don't feel tight, you don't feel pain, like the, the cold just seizes us and like in the sun we're just relaxed and it's like a wooza kind of thing.
0: Back to the conversation in a moment, but first a word about our main partner's Kaiser. Who make these podcasts possible. Kaiser, as many of you will know, have been changing the world of fitness for over 40 years, and here at the Leaders Performance Institute, we're proud to have partnered with them for more than a decade. Did you know that more than 80% of the top sports teams in the world train with Kaiser exercise equipment? If you would like to talk to them, please get in touch with a member of the Leaders team, who will be delighted to introduce you to the right person at Kaiser. Alternatively, head to Kaiser.com to find out more. And now, back to my conversation with Asher Philip. Asher, I wanted to continue by asking you how you would respond if you felt one way or wanted to do one thing and your coach felt a different way. Does that sort of thing ever crop up in training or practice?
1: My way of thinking is, like, if you give me a reason to try this or do something and it will help benefit me, I will listen to you or I will try it. Because usually, don't just pick something out of the sky and say, like, Asher, yeah, you go for it. Said, so, no, 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 I need a four page letter or essay for you to tell me this is good for me I mean that might be a bit extreme but I don't like trying new things so it has to be worth me doing it so that's probably one thing I would say but as an, a senior athlete now I can have those conversations with my coaches to decide is this worth it is it not should we try this should we shouldn't I think as a junior you're trying out new things so you want to try all these different exercises or machines and stuff just to see if it works well, like you won't know until you try. But as a senior, I feel I kind of know myself and I know what isn't good and what isn't, but I would still try something else. Even though, if like, it's like when you're trying foods, like you stick to what you know, and um, you might add a bit of more seasoning or spice to, um, to the same thing, just so you can tolerate it more. But to completely change it might be too different. So you just kind of mold into something. So it has to be worth my time if I'm gonna try it. I wanted to
0: move away from the physical side and return to the theme of mental health and wellbeing which you touched upon a little bit earlier in the conversation. And I don't know what you felt, Asha, but this felt like a summer in which athletes felt more able to speak openly about their mental health. I'm thinking of Simone Biles at the Olympics in Tokyo, for example. And I know you've spoken previously about working with a psychologist as well. So I wanted to ask you, what are some of the ways in which athletics can challenge your mental health and well-being?
1: Mental health is such a big thing, and I've learned in this sport that or any sport to be fair, or actually ways of life, that therapy is actually a good thing. And people don't Well, some people are very anti using a the therapist and stuff, but from my experiences, I genuinely feel like we carry a lot as human beings and we don't offload it. And to carry it, the weight only gets heavier and heavier. And obviously we've had a whole pandemic of people not wanting to leave their house, stuck inside, Paranoid to go outside and go near anyone. Like before the Olympics, my whole family was like, they didn't want to come near me at all, just in case I had given them or they had given me something. And it was tough. And I feel therapy helps because. You have someone to talk to, or someone to offload, someone that can understand, someone that doesn't know you from Adam as well. So there's no judgment or you could have someone because my family are actually qualified and my mum's a counsellor and my aunt's a psychologist. So oh, I think my mum is actually a psychologist. I'm lucky to have those conversations with them, but I genuinely feel like in my whole years of being in sport, that therapy is a massive thing. And I've only recently got into it, say like the past year or so. Um, like I've been in and out throughout the years, but recently I gave it a good go. And it definitely helps because I said again, like we carry so much and if we don't offload it, it will only get heavier and it just doesn't do well for our mental, our mental health, whether it be at work or on the track or in any other sport. Like it is a thing that people should consider in their lives. And it's because, we might not talk about things that are affecting us because you only know ask someone, are you okay? And they are like, yeah, I'm fine. But no, are you really okay? You have to really dig deep and you have to wait for them to really offload or open up because some people aren't trusting in their closest friends. They'd rather, they rather just bottle it up inside. So I suggest they, that everyone gets a therapist so they can offload. And when they are ready to tell their people close to them, it'll be much easier. And I think we're not so much judgmental anymore because when you realize that you're not the only one going through it, it makes it easier. So it's just like trying to make people take the first step. So I know it must have been difficult for everyone this year with the pandemic because it was tough. Like we were stuck inside. Like I was doing workouts at home, finding grass, and I wasn't sure if I was going to roll my ankle, getting kicked off of tracks um, over London. Like it was it was brutal and trying to actually stay into the sport. So I feel like we're going to lose a number of kids into sports because they wasn't exposed to it over a year. And I'm just hoping that they do fight their battle and come back into it. But yeah, so I, I really do consider people just really offloading and trying to stay strong because their mental health is one of the most important things.
0: Looking back, do you wish you had access to a psychologist when you were 18, 21 or 25 even?
1: Definitely. When I was 17, when I did my injury, but then I said that my family were qualified. Well, they are qualified, but it's just different because they're my mums. My well, I call my auntie my mum as well. I might as well because she's been there my whole entire life. And when I think about them, they did help me but I wish, yes, if I had someone else external to speak to and someone I felt comfortable with, because I've only just found someone I like speaking to. Some people don't always have the greatest of experiences at the beginning, but it's always just trying to find that right person. There's always that one teacher that you fall in love with, hypothetically, let me say that, um, <laughs> where they teach you something. So if you're a maths teacher and you now start to love maths because of your teacher, that's the same with psychology. You have to find that one person that you... Feel comfortable with, and now I found that person. It, it feels great, and we, I, I hope to grow with her and push forward. And you know, it helps me within life and in my sport. And I wish, yes, I had it earlier, but I think I wasn't ready because I think I was, I was, I'm not say anti, so I was just in a not say a dark place, but I wasn't happy. I wasn't willing to talk to anyone. And it's always you need someone to keep badgering on to you, like, come on, you can do it. But at the end of the day, it's, it's my decision to go out and do it, and it's always hard for to tell someone, like, come on. And it's just like a waiting game. So when that person's ready they will know, but at least you've planted the seed and then you hopefully let it grow by themselves.
0: And of course you have those conversations with your psychologist, but are there any tools that you use on a daily basis in day-to-day training or even day-to-day life? You've touched upon some important people in your life, such as your mom and your auntie. Are there things that get you through day-to-day?
1: Yes. Like, I know today's session is going to be hard. Asha, you're going to die. Okay, you know this is going to happen, so (laughs) get over it in a way. But it's more just being strong it is tough but it's about being positive honestly positive affirmations knowing that I'm trying to make my work environment as happy as possible so whether it's banters flowing there's jokes there's laughter there's happy tears That just just fun stuff you know because you know it's going to be tough you just need to make it the most enjoyable toughness so you have to enjoy it and just get on with it I like love what I do well sometimes like I said I don't when I'm dying and it's tough But you just have to see the brighter side. You can always see the end goal and you know you're working here for a reason. And yeah, just try and make it as fun as possible. And I think that's what really gets me through the days: positive affirmations and making the sport fun.
0: I also wanted to ask you about emotional regulation because here at the Leaders Performance Institute, we're constantly hearing coaches talk about emotions and their ability to help their athletes better manage their emotions as leaders. But what about you personally, Asher? Is that something you get better at with experience? Is it a question of not necessarily getting too high with the wins and season's bests, but also not getting too low with the losses or setbacks?
1: It all depends on the athlete in a way. It's tough because I used to go quiet after my races. I was like, please do not talk to me. But it just it, you just kind of grow with it and you just have to learn from all your lessons. I can't say the mistakes and stuff, but you just have to learn and it isn't, the easiest because they are highs like really good highs but then they are extreme lows and that's what happens with sport and you just have to try and find that middle ground when you're training like you want the highs but then the lows also make you so it's a tough one that
0: absolutely and as we move towards the end of our chat i wanted to ask you about the question of purpose and fulfillment you've already spoken about some of those hard mornings but what did you have to tell yourself on days when you didn't want to get up for training you could even go back further than that. What enabled you to do it again after Rio in 2016? I mean, that's before we even get to the pandemic. You were still getting up every day and doing the hard yards after Rio. What do you have to tell yourself on those difficult days?
1: Well, <laughs> um, <laughs> those days are the ones where you just feel like, oh, I'm done. I'm ready to quit. I don't want to do it no more. Those, those type of days, after a bad race, after a, a tough session, like when your coach is shoveling you off the track... You honestly just have to look, like, remind yourself of the reasons why you started, remind yourself of your goals, remind yourself of your highs, or the um, the good parts of the sport, and just remember, this is just a part of the package, unfortunately, but pushing through it. I think as you get older, it becomes easier. As a teenager and stuff, you're going to feel like, oh, I could be doing better things, or like, living life with my friends and stuff, but you could do that any time in life. You just have to remind yourself of why you're here, Asha, but it is tough and i said those days we're allowed to sulk again we are human so you can throw your toes out the pram but make sure you just clean them up fast because the train is still moving and we're on it there's no there's no time to get off so we can have a little small pit stop but refresh recharge the body recharge the mind but we are getting back on so take a deep breath and let's go
0: how much of a motivation is it to have an olympic medal around your neck I imagine it's amazing in every single way, but three months after Rio, you were getting out of bed and going to training in the morning and you were doing it for different reasons. It wasn't just because you had a medal around your neck. There must be a purpose and fulfilment beyond standing on a podium, right?
1: Do you know I think that'll only come when like I've finished with the sport because with each every time I say I come back from a championship, we have to focus because yet again we've got more races. The season hasn't finished. And it's trying to pick yourself up for that. Now like, that is really tough. Like you've just had a high or low championships and you still have to keep going. Like that is such a tough thing. Some people excel in those moments. Some people just say, no, nah, it's not for me and just stop and then finish on for their season. But then as soon as we come back, there's another focus. So we don't get to really enjoy the moment for long. Cause like now I'm back from the Olympics. Yeah, I had time with my family and stuff, but I swear to race. Now that's done. The next focus now side back training is the World Championships, the Commonwealth, the Europeans, all crammed into one year, which I don't know how we're going to have time to breathe, but that is now our next focus. So we don't really get to enjoy our moments when we're in the sport, let's just say. But we try our best to because these moments don't last. So when like we have a day or two at the, t- the Championships, that's when we really have our fun. But we, always, we just have to move on again. But I know in time I'll be able to look back and feel like, wow, I actually accomplished all those things in my life.
0: I agree entirely. And looking ahead... You mentioned that you've got a packed schedule next summer in particular but what is your focus for the remainder of this year and the start of 2022?
1: Well this is our big block of winter we should put all the petrol into the tank it is the worst time of the year for majority of track and field athletes that we some of the people love it I absolutely hate it funny enough because I'm a sprinter and I hate the part of running I love the gym <laughs> but the running I cannot stand but it always makes you stronger and it's what you need to succeed in our sport. So I take a deep breath, I grip my teeth, and I get on with it because I know why the reasons I started and what I want my goal or for how I want to achieve my goals. So it's all part of the process. And
0: is it different the fact that you're coming straight from an Olympic Games rather than having that extra year between the Olympics and the World Championships? Does it change things for you in any way?
1: No, not at all. Honestly, it's just the championships is gone now and we're on to the next one. Literally, you just, you kind of forget it was the Olympics last, well, say last year, or this season. Yeah, we kind of just automatically forget because you have to focus on the next one. We can't keep looking backwards when we have to keep going forward.
0: Final question, Asha. What are your goals for 2022?
1: Ooh. Well, we have the World Indoors in Belgrade. So I need to get a medal there. I've not got myself a World Indoor medal and that would be... Um, that would make my day. Let's just say. So that's one of my aims to get a world indoor medal. And then I want to. I would like to make the world and the Commonwealth team. The Europeans. I'm still debating if I want to do that or not, but we'll see. But I'll probably definitely go for the relay. Um, but for the individual part, I'm not so sure. I'd like to, do, like to do some 100s and 200s. So I do 100. I'd like to do some more 200s. So my aim will be to make the individual for the one for the worlds and commies maybe a two for the Euros we'll decide but definitely make all three championships and um, get a medal in majority of them if possible absolutely (laughs) whether it be the video or the individual
0: fantastic and we certainly wish you all the best here at Leaders Asha Philip thank you very much for your time today
1: thank you for having me